the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Our producer, Debbie, gave us this article from the Gospel Coalition from a couple years ago that talks about giving thanks as a communal act, as a community project. But bigger than that, Aubrey, I just want to ask you, why is it important that we give thanks? Why is it actually, you know, Thanksgiving's fun. We eat, we watch football, we're with family. But the act of gratitude, the act Mm. of giving thanks, why on a grand scale is that even an important thing to have as a part of our lives? Yeah, I mean, I would say, let me start big and I'll go small. One, it's an act of worship, right? So it just reminds us to praise the God who Mm. loves us and made us and saved us and knows us. And so I would say large scale gratefulness really is worship. And then I would say on a, this is also a large scale, but kind of a different take on it. I also just, especially, you know, we had a guest earlier this week, Christy Nelson, who's part of, I can't remember, gratefulness.org is the website that she's a part of. She runs an organization connected to it, but it does, gratitude does change our perspectives and our mm-hmm. posture. So if you're just having a rough day or if things are not going well with you, to be able to find gifts in the midst of the darkness really is a game changer because it changes your whole posture, your outlook, your mood. I mean, I think there's even like scientific research that shows that gratitude can shift your mood, which can help your life longevity. And so there's there's goodness in it, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like we're told scripturally to be people of thanks, but there's also benefits of thankfulness that impact our lives. And so it's one of those, I guess one of those um, self-fulfilling cycles or uh, like yeah. the positive version of a catch-22. Like you practice thankfulness, you become more thankful and that has great benefits for your life and the people around you as well. Yeah, it's the old chicken or the egg, right? Like do I wait to have good stuff to be thankful or do I be thankful and it kind of grows some gratitude in me? I think you make a great point that that uh, giving thanks, particularly in worship, uh, reminds us who God is and, and um, kind of focuses our eyes on him. So Psalm 136, this article quotes, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for a steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. It's this reminder that no matter what's going on around me, uh, as I focus myself on the goodness of God and on the love of God and on the presence of God, that I could be thankful, like even That's if right. life is not going well. And so, like you said, I think it's important to start on the grander scale. Like, OK, I do have things to be thankful for it, at the very least or at the very most uh, the work of God in my life. But, Aubrey, I think you're also right that. As I practice being thankful, like in my life, I feel like a lot of times I can focus on the negative. I'm not a negative person per se, uh, but a lot of times you could just get overwhelmed and focused on the things that aren't going well, right? Like whether it be at your job or in your family or with a pandemic mm-hmm, or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But, but when it is, uh, when we take time to go, okay, what do I have to be thankful for? 
and as we name those things, uh, we it, it, like you said, it changes our perspective. It yeah. reminds us, wait a minute, things are not so bad. But yet in the daily kind of rat race of things, we we don't often take time uh, to uh, to be thankful. This article right. speaks specifically about the role of the church hmm. uh, and the role of of our kind of uh, Christian community uh, in kind of speaking words of thankfulness and focus us on thankfulness. Uh, you and I, both pastors, we talk a lot about the church. Yep. How is it that being a part of a church community helps us to be thankful? Mm, that's such a good question, Brian. I really appreciate that. I mean, I, you know, I think what's interesting is that, again, we say, we probably said it five times this week already on The Common Good. We practice a communal faith. Mm -hmm. And so when we are not uh, particularly feeling grateful or we're having a hard time accessing that spiritual discipline of gratitude in our lives, being part of a church body, we can remind one another of the goodness of God, and we can remind uh, one another to glorify God together in our thanks. And, you know, I think the other thing, we, this article actually mentions this at the Gospel Coalition. We see throughout the scriptures that we are actually called to give thanks communally mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. those of us who have been redeemed to gather together and give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And so I think, again, being a part of our church helps us um, remember <laughs> to be thankful. Mm -hmm. uh, those of us who are like in that it, really good at this can remind those of us who aren't. We can encourage one another. We can carry one another. And then I think the Lord is pleased with our thankfulness. And I would just say one more thing. And this is also, you know, part of this article as well. Right now, we see the church so divided, and mm -hmm. we see the church arguing over big things, but also a lot of petty things. There seems to be so much conflict. Corporate Thanksgiving, this article says, is an opportunity to enter into the joys of others, to delight with them at the Lord's kindness, and to affirm that blessing given to one member is, in fact, a blessing to the whole body. So in a sense, Thanksgiving is um, a uniting force mm. in a way that honors God and honors each other. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know at my church, I don't know about your church, we don't have a Thanksgiving service. We kind of figured out that like a lot of people are leaving and not. Right, you know, right, happen. right. Uh, but a lot of churches do. And so I'd encourage people to, if your church does a Thanksgiving service, maybe make sure to connect in it kind of for that communal Thanksgiving. But even if your church doesn't, I think as churches, whether it be this coming Sunday or in an email or something you could send, we as pastors can remind our people, what's it? what do you have to be thankful for? What does scripture say about being thankful? Because uh, again, life can feel really overwhelming. Like, I, you know, I turn on the Today Show every morning, you know, like we always say, you're a Good Morning America person. I'm a, th I'm you're a, Today, a Today Show, show person. person. Yep. And uh, I turn on the Today Show and generally, you know, if there's not bad weather somewhere, then all of the first uh, segment is going to be bad news, right? It's the, it's what happened yes. in Waukesha. So it's true. it's so uh, true. what happened in Kenosha. It's this. And you're just going, man, everything is so heavy. And then that could, could kind of boil down to our own lives. And, you know, we're still in the midst, whatever you believe about the pandemic. And you just go, wait a minute. No, no, I have a lot to be thankful yeah, for. Yeah. Let me Let me sit in it. Mm -hmm. let, let me uh, think about it. Let me mm -hmm. write it down. I know I, I, there's such things as gratitude journals and that. Mm -hmm. But I, what I would I guess what I would tell people is this Thanksgiving uh, it need not be a one day a year thing. Uh, the celebration is the eating. But but we need to be people of gratitude primarily good, because yeah. God is good and what Amen. he has done for us. So we're off and running our last show before Thanksgiving. 
Uh, we are excited to be together. And coming up next, Robert Tracy McKenzie. Uh, a few years ago, he wrote a book called The First Thanksgiving, what the real story tells us about loving God and learning from history. We're going to have him tell us the story, Aubrey, and we're going to talk about what can we learn from that first Thanksgiving. We're going to do that next with Robert Tracy McKenzie here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And as we've been saying, everybody knows uh, tomorrow's the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we are looking forward to that. And so, Aubrey, we thought about let's let's have somebody on uh, who knows a lot about Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, and with that in mind, one person came to mind, professor of history at our alma mater, Wheaton College, also the author of a book a couple years ago entitled The First Thanksgiving, What the Real Story Tells Us About Loving God and Learning from History. He is Dr. Robert Tracy McKenzie. Tracy, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Brian. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And Tracy, before we talk about Thanksgiving and the history of it, why don't you just introduce yourself again to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm a professor of history here in the uh, history department at Wheaton College. Uh, I came here in 2010 after teaching for a long time at the University of Washington. And I'm privileged at Wheaton to hold the Arthur Holmes Chair of Faith and Learning, which is something I really uh, am, am proud of. That is so fantastic. Again, we're so thrilled that you're with us. Okay, so we're just going to jump right in, Dr. McKenzie, and talk to us about the first Thanksgiving. What have we missed from this story? What is the real story? <laughs> well, there's so many things. It's sort of hard to know uh, where to begin, but let me just uh, suggest a, a few things. Um, maybe the most important is the way that we remember uh, the backstory uh, to that celebration in the fall of 1621. The, the way we so commonly tell the story is we say that the pilgrims came to uh, North America uh, in search of religious freedom. Mm. Uh, and uh, that becomes a part of uh, a story that we tell that we draw certain kinds of inspiration from. And, and we use that story in certain ways. But the reality is that's not accurate. Um, mm. the, the group that we remember as the pilgrims migrated from uh, northern England, not directly to North America, but actually uh, to Holland, uh, settling ultimately uh, in a manufacturing city called Leiden. Uh, and they were there for about 11 years or so. And uh, at least according to the main pilgrim writers that describe their experience, their experience in Leiden was one of a lot of religious toleration. And they actually believed that uh, their church community flourished in some ways there. Uh, and so they, they never left Leiden because of religious persecution, nor were they coming to North America, quote, in search of religious freedom. They, they certainly valued religious freedom. Absolutely. Uh, but the reason they say they migrated uh, were very different. Uh, they were struggling economically. It was very, very hard to make a living. Uh, they were uh, sort of bowed down under uh, economic burdens. They were mm -hmm. growing old before their time. They described the culture as very permissive. They felt like it was a hard place to raise their children faithfully. Uh, they felt like they were losing their English identity. They're uh, sort of a, a bundle of things that ultimately convinced them to, uh, to leave their, their home there in Holland uh, and cross the Atlantic. Mm. Uh, just if I could say really quickly why I yeah. think that is so important. 
the, the way we tell the story always reminds me of Jesus' parable, the sower. If you may remember that parable, it's told in multiple gospels, but in, in Mark 4, we're, we're told that uh, the sower goes out to sow and he sows some seed on, on stony ground. And Jesus says this is a symbol for uh, persecution or tribulation. Uh, some of the seed is sown, uh, though, among thorns. And Jesus says that's likened to those uh, who suffer from the cares of this world and the desire for other things. Uh, and the reality is, I would say the pilgrims came not because of persecution, but because of the cares of this world. Hmm. And, and I actually think that makes their story more relevant to us. Hmm. Uh, they're concerned about taking care of their children. They're concerned about supporting themselves in old age. They're concerned about the challenges of a permissive culture. And I think we can relate to that more directly, pretty much all of us, uh, than the story as we uh, typically tell it. So that's one example. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, what else do we get wrong? Like, right. You know, when you're a kid and you're, you're in school, there's always the picture literally of the pilgrims <laughs> sitting with the Native yeah. Americans. Sure. A- a- absolutely. And, and, you know, most of those ways we imagine the gathering are, are misleading. I, I didn't write my book primarily just to puncture myths, but, but I, think, <laughs> I think there are some that, that are worth just mentioning. Uh, the first thing w- we would say is that from the, the account that survives, it's clear that there were a significantly larger number of Native Americans present than than pilgrims. Mm. So, so at the very least, there are probably at least twice as many uh, members of the Wampanoag tribe uh, as there were survivors of the Mayflower. Mm. So uh, that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, you know, if you've seen any of those pictures that are imaginatively recreating the scene, you see the long tables set outside, you know, and, and you have uh, the pilgrims and, and Native Americans eating there. Uh, they almost certainly didn't have much furniture at all. <laughs> uh, and, and so to begin with, they're almost certainly on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were probably eating with their hands. Uh, it was not common to have many utensils uh, in the early 17th century. Forks really weren't even widely in use at that uh, point. So we can imagine them sitting on the ground and eating uh, with their hands. Uh, we also need to imagine that it was an overwhelmingly male gathering. Mm. Uh, the account of the event says that uh, the Wampanoag uh, chieftain Massasoit brought 90 of his uh, braves with him. And there's no reference to women and children. We don't know for sure. Uh, but there's only the mention of the 90 males. And then uh, the estimate is that of the 52 survivors of the Mayflower, uh, that about uh, five out of every six were, were men. Uh, there had been 18 wives on the Mayflower, and in the months after their arrival in New England, uh, 14 of those 18 wives died. Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and so uh, it was an overwhelmingly male uh, gathering full of widowers, full of orphans. Uh, it was a young gathering. There were only three individuals over 40 years old that survived that first winter. Uh, and so it's just a different gathering. And if you had to liken it to something that we might uh, relate to in our day, uh, that meal probably had more of a feel of a Fourth of July cookout hmm. than the very domestic, elaborate sort of uh, uh, feasts that, that we think of today. Oh, this is so interesting. Again, you can find... Uh Dr. McKenzie's book, The First Thanksgiving, what the real story tells us about loving God and learning from history on Amazon or wherever you get your books. So fascinating to learn this stuff. Tracy, one of the things that I, I think people tend to do is either 
really idolize the pilgrims or, or on the other side, really demonize them like they were villains. And I wonder if somewhere in your book, there, I, I don't want to say is there balance, but is there a right place to hold the pilgrims and what we can learn from them? That's just a great question, Aubrey. And it is so difficult because you're right. We, we tend to gravitate to, to sort of one extreme or the other, uh, in our, in our thinking. And I try to start with uh, my engagement with the pilgrims from what we know from, uh, God's revealed truth about all human beings, uh, which is that they, they were fallen. Uh, they were, they were deeply flawed. And we see that in a lot of ways. Uh, they, um, uh, they argued among themselves a lot. Uh, one of their, uh, prominent leaders uh, embezzled uh, from them. Uh, mm. They were duped by their friends or supposed friends as they planned their uh, venture. Uh, they certainly were ethnocentric. They uh, wanted, I think, to be God's vessel for a blessing to the indigenous people that they would meet. But they shared most of the assumptions of uh, their day uh, in that they assumed that their culture was uh, superior to that which would uh, they would encounter. So they were fallen. Uh, but uh, uh, acknowledging that, uh, I'm just as much impressed uh, at the kinds of courage that they showed. Uh, most of what they did uh, was uh, to try to carve out uh, a better life uh, for their family. They did so uh, knowing that it would be dangerous, knowing that the likelihood that many would not survive was great. Uh, they had a commitment to one another. You know, our culture today is so individualistic and we forget that the Pilgrims decision to relocate was really a collective decision. It wasn't a bunch of individuals saying, how can we advance our own uh, sort of opportunities? Mm -hmm. They were wanting to keep their church together and they wanted their church to to flourish. Uh, and they ultimately decided as a church uh, that they wanted to. Uh, relocate. And, and so I think they challenge us in ways that we need to be challenged today as a society that is so uh, uh, pervasively individualistic. Yeah. Uh, they offer us a different uh, a different way of thinking, a different way of being. Man, I'm learning. I'm learning about Thanksgiving again. Dr. Robert Tracy McKenzie, professor of history at Wheaton College. Uh, his book from a couple years ago, we thought would just be really fun and helpful to talk about. It's called The First Thanksgiving what the real story tells us about loving God and learning from history. Tracy, really important question. First Thanksgiving, the pilgrims are there, the Native Americans. Did they eat turkey? What do we know <laughs> about that first meal? Uh, so, so, Brian, I got to say, I've done a lot of interviews on this book over the years, uh, and that is the single most commonly asked question. <laughs> uh, it's what everyone wants to know, right? Uh, so, sure. A great question. Uh, and the reality is we don't know for sure. Uh, the sum total of evidence that we have describing this meal uh, is in a letter that was sent back to supporters of the venture in England, and it totals five sentences and 115 words. Mm. Uh, and it just doesn't say a, a whole lot. It says that the governor uh, sent uh, four men of the colony on fowling, meaning out to hunt birds. Uh, and that's as uh, specific as it is. But from what we know about the environment of early 17th century Plymouth, uh, we do know that it's it's an area just ringed with uh, ponds and uh, streams. And almost certainly uh, the kinds of birds that they were killing were water birds. Ah. Uh, their descriptions of the turkey, the wild turkey that lived in the area, and they're described as super fast, uh, very difficult to shoot. And the weapons that the pilgrims had were these really heavy, tall uh uh, what were called matchlock muskets, which were actually fired from a tripod. Uh, 
Uh, and so they're almost certainly hiding in a blind, we would call it, and they're shooting at water birds when they happen to sort of come in front of their mm. field of fire. So they probably were having ducks and geese, uh, herons and swans and cranes, all kinds of things that we wouldn't dream of uh, eating today. If I could just add to it, they, they didn't have ovens yet. Uh, and so they wouldn't have had uh, pumpkin pie. Uh, pretty much everything they ate would have been boiled or roasted. They didn't have sugar. Uh, so bless their hearts if they tried to eat cranberries. You know? <laughs> yes. uh, so probably no cranberry sauce, no turkey, uh, no pumpkin pie, no stuffing. Uh, they would have had a lot of water birds. They actually uh, farmed a lot of eel uh, out of the riverbeds. Wow. They might have had eel. They grew in their gardens what they called salad herbs, which were uh, uh, vegetable sort of like turnips uh, and parsnips uh, and cabbages. Uh, and so I always joke and say, if you want to have an authentic Thanksgiving dinner, uh, have turnips and eel, and you're probably <laughs> closer to the reality. That's awesome. I know. I was just thinking if I pulled out like boiled swan for Thanksgiving this week, I'm not sure how my family would uh, respond to that. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Tracy, one of the things your book does talk about is um, how the real Thanksgiving helps us learn to love God. And so I would love if you can kind of transition for us. How does the history of Thanksgiving move us to love God and love neighbor in a way that we might not have considered before? Uh, Aubrey, that's a great question. I'm so glad that you you posed it. Uh, so to begin to answer that is it requires me to sort of turn everything we've been saying upside down. I need to tell you that the pilgrims themselves would not have thought of that 1621 autumn celebration as a Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. uh, they would have thought of it as a celebration uh, for God's goodness. But when they used the term Thanksgiving, they meant something very specific. They believed that the scripture authorized God's people uh, to declare what they would have described as occasional holy days. Or, you know, mm -hmm. we use the term holiday. Uh, and so the the occasional holy days would have been either days uh, during time of great trial where they would celebrate a, a day of humiliation and fasting, where they would, as a church, pray for God's deliverance from whatever a trial uh, faced them. Or they would have uh, a day of thanksgiving to thank God for his very extraordinary deliverance from some sort of trial. For example, if they survive a drought or if they survive uh, a plague of some kind, they would declare a, a, a day of thanksgiving. So the pilgrims' actual first thanksgiving, as they would have described it, came not in 1621 uh, at the end of the harvest, but came in the summer of 1623 in the middle of a drought. Uh, and their crops were just dying in the fields uh, they declared a day of humiliation and fasting and prayed for eight hours and worshiped and beseeched God for his intervention. And one of the pilgrim writers says that this day that had begun without a cloud in the sky ended uh, overcast. Uh, and uh, overnight, a very soft, gentle rain began to fall uh, that continued for nearly two weeks and revived their crops. And so to thank God for that intervention, they declared a day of thanksgiving where they again gathered together as a church, and for hours they prayed uh, and worshiped. So here's the takeaway. We've actually made Thanksgiving into an annual occurrence. It's always celebrated on the same Thursday of November uh, in every year. Uh, and the pilgrims actually thought that Thanksgiving should be something that you're perpetually open to uh, as you look to see God's involvement in your life. So I've often thought, you know, if I had studied this when I was a young father and had young children uh, at home, I would love 
uh, to have had the opportunity to uh, announce to my kids sort of with, with a little advance warning, hey, uh, God has helped us through some particular challenge, and we are so grateful. We're declaring a holiday, and mm-hmm. we're going to celebrate. So I, I think what they really challenge us to do is to be open more for the ongoing, active involvement of God in his mercy and grace in our lives, rather than circling a particular day on the calendar and say, oh, well, now it's time to be thankful. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah, kind of this, uh, this year-long having an attitude of, gr- of gratitude, if you will, I think is, is a really helpful takeaway. All right, Tracy, let's end it this way. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Give us one tradition that you love that your family does. What's, what's Thanksgiving look like in your family? And then the second part of that question is favorite Thanksgiving food. You got to choose one. <laughs> what is your favorite Thanksgiving Oh, food? man, that's really hard. Uh, so, you know, I, we probably celebrate Thanksgiving the way an awful lot of Americans uh, will be celebrating it tomorrow, which is to say we just eat ourselves silly. <laughs> uh, but but in, in my family, or particularly when our kids were small, Thanksgiving always inaugurated the Christmas season. So at the end of the Thanksgiving Day, when we were all full but tired, we would uh, break out the first Christmas movie and uh, sort of uh, inaugurate the Christmas season, which, of course, is about a month too late today uh, since it you know, <laughs> begins in October. In terms of favorite Christmas food, my wife is to make just this absolutely uh, ridiculously good chocolate pecan pie. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll have to put that at the top of my list. That is good. Again, Dr. Robert Tracy McKenzie is professor of history at Wheaton College. Uh, I should mention his other book that came out much more recently. You were actually on our show a little while ago to talk about it called We the Fallen People. Go check that out on Amazon. Uh, but also uh, go find The First Thanksgiving, what the real story tells us about loving God and learning from history. You can learn more about Tracy at roberttracymckenzie.com and also connect with them on Twitter at rtracymckenzie. That's at rtracymckenzie. Uh, Tracy, this was so much fun. We hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you, Aubrey and Brian. Same to you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We're so thrilled that you're with us today. Brian, we've said this on the show quite a bit, that you're a, I'm a Good Morning America gal, and you're a Today Show guy. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we sometimes like to pull things from our morning shows. And over at Good Morning America, there was the most heartwarming story of a, a video, really, of a deaf baby hearing her mom's voice for the first time after having surgery. And it is so beautiful. I wish we could actually just like bring everybody into the studio and have them watch the video with us because it's a tearjerker, but the sounds alone are quite moving. So I want to go ahead and share that with you. really a really special moment for our family you know you think about things like will my daughter ever hear my voice you know at the time the notion that she may never you know that's a scary thing as a hearing person who doesn't know anything about deafness and, and about deaf culture you know what's been even more special i think is, is learning more about the deaf community and learning that there are plenty of other ways that i can communicate my love to my daughter more so than or you know as equal as telling her I love you 
We've been overwhelmed by the responses to the video, um, many of which have come from first-time parents who are, you know, navigating their new norm just like we are. You know, it's really given me the opportunity to share things like 87% of hearing parents of deaf or hard of hearing children never learn sign language. Um, and, you know, I've really tried to create a space to have a discussion around that and hopefully, you know, start to lower that so that more deaf children are given access to a language that is most accessible to them. Okay, so this mom holding that baby and the baby starts crying when she hears her mom's voice. I mean, I it's like, it's so emotional to watch it. it it's kind of well, it's totally different, but it has that same heart of the videos of the parent, you know, the army parents, the military parents yes. coming home. It's just like something about that parent and child connection just meets us in our like emotional place. Don't you think, Brian? Yeah, you do not need to convince me. I, I, <laughs> will, I have gone down the rabbit hole before of just watching these videos of people, especially ch little children, but of people when they're. Uh, when they can go from not being able to hear to hearing because of these um, amazing medical, mm. you know, uh, hearing aids or whatever yeah. else they have. Uh, the ones with the babies, I will be the first to say <laughs> that these have, if not made me outright cry, at least tear up. I'm at least going to own that portion. Yeah. It's the best because these kids haven't heard before. Uh. And you just think about how hard that must be as a family, right? Like yeah. that just you want your kid and then all of a sudden they turn these things on and they're it is like this light bulb goes mm. off. That is just amazing. Also, Aubrey, real fast, if you want to cry sometime, um, also Google uh, the people who are who are colorblind, who are given special <gasps> sunglasses in which they oh can my. see colors for the first time. Oh, no. <laughs> that is also amazing. But yes, I love these videos. And they're, they're very appropriate for this time of year, Aubrey, right now, because... Yes. You think about it. These parents, they could just be mad and they could just be this. But And I'm sure they've had moments of darkness going, why do Absolutely. I have a kid that can't hear? But yeah. the thankfulness they must feel for those doctors, for technology, mm -hmm. for all of this. And their life is literally changed in that moment when they flip that switch and the kid's eyes get really big. Like you said, sometimes they cry because it might be overwhelming. But a little more overwhelming. Often than not, yeah. Right. But more often than not, you see these little children just break out in these huge smiles as they're like, mm. what just happened? I love these videos. I'm. Thank you. Good morning, America, for highlighting this one, because I love these videos. Yeah. And I, and I think the power of the I mean, there's so many layers of why videos like this are powerful, that parent child connection, that sense that we all want to feel um, like we belong to someone else. And then sort of just that you that childlike, I don't know, there is some, that childlike love for, a, you know, that a child has for their parent. And I, there's so many layers. But I think one of the things that I wanted us to talk about a little bit is just thinking of families who are overcoming hard things this Thanksgiving. And we know, listeners, that there's a lot of you out there who are you're caring for aging mm. parents or you're caring for special needs kids or you're carrying um, just weight on your shoulders because just of life or your responsibility or your leadership or financial woes or coming out of 2020, 2021. I mean, we know a lot of you are carrying really heavy stuff. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is a, this, the holidays can be a moment to reflect on all that God has done. And yet things are really, really hard. 
And so um, we want to spend some time encouraging you listeners if you're overcoming something hard this Thanksgiving. And so, Brian, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you're a pastor. We know that you you pastor and you shepherd people really well. You shepherd a lot of people who are going through hard things. Generally speaking, for our listener out there who's just carrying heavy burdens, do you have a word of encouragement for them this holiday season? Yeah, it's again, we we always like to start this way and acknowledge that life can be hard. Like you don't mm-hmm. need to feel guilty for yeah. feeling sad or for feeling overwhelmed. Like this has been a very hard season and um for all of us, but if you're going through particular things, like it's okay. Like to cry right. out to God in your pain is appropriate and good. Uh I would say as Christians, as Christ followers at the very base level, no matter what's going on right now, we can we can be thankful uh, for the good news of the gospel that Jesus came and through him, we have life, we have forgiveness, we have hope eternal, but also that he promises to be present with us even in our darkest times. I think uh, understanding his presence uh, and also the promise that we have of our hope and our and our future, I think can give us at least a base level of thankfulness, even if life is crumbling around us. We can be thankful that he describes himself as a rock, right, upon which mm. we can build our life. Good. And those aren't just platitudes that we go, oh, be thankful for Jesus. That's actually real. Like it's actually real that we can anchor ourselves. And then I would encourage you to take some time as hard as life is to go, what are the even small things right now that I could be thankful for? Mm -hmm. What are the small things that I can um, that can put a smile on my face? Even if, you know, 90 percent of it's bad right now. What are the 10 percent? that I can do. So those are some thoughts. Aubrey, what would you say? You're a pastor as well who helps people and shepherds people. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think I would echo everything that you just said, Brian. And and one thing that I would add that this mother of the in this um Good Morning America story added was how grateful they are for the community around them, that they have a community around their deaf daughter. They have a community of other families going through something similar. And what an incredible support that's been. And I would just add to what you said that um I would invite you, you know, listener right now who's hurting to be, if you're not part of a Christian community, you're not part of a church, now is the time to join one so that you can have a community of of really family members united in Christ around you to support you. And if you are part of a church, but you're feeling disconnected, perhaps now is the time to reach out to a small group leader or a friend or your pastor and just say, look, this is really hard for me this year. Our family's really struggling. I need some encouragement. And I promise you that the people in your life who love mm-hmm. you will want to be there to support you. And you don't have to carry this alone. You have the Lord and you have the community that the Lord has given you as his church. Yes. So we hope that that brings you some encouragement. We know this uh, season can be really, really hard, but you are not alone. The Lord is with you. And we're so, so proud of all of you who are overcoming hard things this holiday season. Well, coming up next... We're doing one of our favorite things. Top five. A top five list. Of course, this one's going to be Thanksgiving theme, but we're going to have a little fun with it. You're going to want to return for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it's not Friday, but we are still excited to do one of our very favorite things every single week. And that is our top five list. Mm -hmm. And we're going to reveal what our top five list here is in just a minute. But before we do, one of the reasons we love our top five list is because of our top five list theme song. Top five, top five, top five. Top five. 
Five Things with Brian and Aubrey. We are doing top five little things we're thankful for. And why don't you explain? Yeah, explain to our listeners what we mean by little things we're thankful for. Yeah, like let's just, you know, if you did a top five list of things you're thankful for, of course, it's going to be uh, my three children, my wife. Jesus, you know, all of this stuff. Let's let's just acknowledge we are thankful for the big things. Yeah. Right? Like those are go without saying. We want this to be random things. Like uh, like what are the first things that come to mind when you're like, these are the things I'm thankful for? Like these are just random, like you said, little things and mm-hmm. important things are important things to us, but they might be things that are very unique to us. Uh, it's like when we do grinds my gears and we say, obviously, we're, we, you know, we get mad about big stuff. But what are the little things that get yes. us? So yeah. these are little things that we hope people can relate to and will laugh at. Five little things that we are thankful for this Thanksgiving. All right, Brian, do you want to kick us off with your number five? Sure. Uh, I am thankful, especially at this time of year, that both of my cars have seat warmers. <gasps> Brian, you're going to find seat warmers on my list. No way. No, 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 no. So the beauty of the seat warmer, uh, if you don't have them, you're living like a caveman or a cavewoman. Absolutely. You stick these on and you come on and and it could be it could be minus degrees outside. But all of a sudden your entire body is like, nope, I'm warm. I am good. Mm -hmm. It feels so good. It's like a bathtub in your car. There you go. There you go. So seat warmers, number five for me. What is your right. number five? My number five is um, all of the holiday themed K-cups you can find in the world right now. I have okay. gingerbread and graham cracker at my house as we speak, waiting to try them. And I'm very excited. So I'm obviously not a coffee person at all, but yeah. but uh, graham cracker does sound does delightful. Does that sound delicious? It does. That yes. does. Very kind of halfway excited to a about s'more. that. Yeah, there you exactly. Go. Just add a little marshmallow creamer and you're good. All right. Number four for me is my least random one. I felt like I could still put this one in here. Uh, This one, um, but it's the least random. Number four for me, I put down my two dogs. Oh, that's nice. If you are not a dog owner. uh, I'm not. Dogs bring so much joy to a house. Mm. Uh, Because here's one reason, Aubrey. When you come home, let's say you've been out, you know, you've been trying to sell books or you've been speaking Mm -hmm. or you've been doing something. Kevin is home. The kids are home, but they're all kind of preoccupied on their phone, watching something on TV. They barely look up. Hey, mom, how are you? Like that kind of thing. You know who doesn't do that is a dog. <laughs> they Every day, these dogs will, will they will greet you as if you are a conquering king. You are a hero <laughs> coming home. And then they will cuddle up alongside you. Aubrey, there is no love like the love that a dog will give you. The loyalty. That is so, so precious. Hopefully for Christmas, that. the Sampsons get a dog. Well, except in our house, dogs will kill my youngest son. So oh, for us, they get to, a dog <laughs> to be greeted like a conquering king is not a good idea by a dog. But they'll be maybe a dog stuffed animal. We could do it at our house. Yeah, don't get a dog then. Yes, yeah, sorry. yeah. That no, back. that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. All right, number four for me. This is a little bit random, but let me explain it. I am really grateful for remote controls. Oh, please. And yes. here's what I like: remote controls that turn on the Christmas lights that turn on the candles, that open the garage, that turn on the Netflix. Wow. I, lo- I I have a lot of remotes around my house right now, like for, for my decorative Christmas lights and things like that. And I'm a fan because I'm a lazy person. I don't have to push a button. I have to stand up and walk somewhere and push a button. But remote controls do the work for you. And those make me feel like I'm a king, by the way. 
That's a good one. I don't really have remote controls outside of my televisions, but if I can't find the remotes for my television, I get you lose so your mind, right? angry. Oh, nothing <laughs> makes me nothing makes me, me like lose yeah. my sanctification more towards my children than when I <laughs> than when we can't find the remote. I'm mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. this is there's only one job in here. Where's the remote? Okay, number three for me. Uh, I've hinted at this with you before, uh, but number three, I am thankful for mowing the lawn. Oh, that's right. You love mowing the lawn. Explain that. Unpack that a little bit for our listeners who may be like, what? I love mowing the lawn. I've always loved mowing the lawn since Carrie and I got our first home in 2001. One of the first things I wanted to do was get a lawnmower and mow my lawn. And so uh, I have kids old enough to mow the lawn. I'm like, no, I'm going to mow the lawn. And I like to push mow the lawn. Here's a couple Mm. of reasons, Aubrey. You and I, we have jobs that don't require a lot of uh, they, they are, they are mentally taxing. They are not so much physically taxing. Right. right and right. so oftentimes if you have a job that is more mental or more sedentary, you, you like to do things in your spare time that require That's a true. little bit of set, uh, sweat and a little bit of work. And I just love mowing the lawn. I put my headphones on. I'll listen to a podcast. I love the smell of the lawn being mowed. I love just the time of year that it is. And just kind of the feeling of like having accomplished something at the end, you can see it, right? Like your lawn looks better. And so uh, I, I've always loved mowing the lawn and I, I will always love mowing the lawn. I don't think here when you and I are friends 20 years from now and I tell you I had to get a lawn service, you'll know that it hurts my heart. Oh, I'll know like like life has changed for you and gotten Correct. hard. Like something has happened. Okay. Like he is okay. not doing well. So yeah, mowing the well. lawn for me, I'm thankful for. Okay. All right. I love it, Brian. I love that's very unique to you. Okay. My number three was your number one. I'm going to throw the seat warmers in the cars. I'm also going to say slash fireplace because in my mind, they fulfill the same concept. And at our house, we have a button fireplace. I wish it was a remote control fireplace. It's not. But you know, you turn on the button, you get warm. So all things button warming are very happy. Make me very happy. this good with that. Thanksgiving. Okay. All right. Number two. Number two. And this is a really broad category, but again, may not surprise you. Uh, Number two for me is just baseball. Mm. I love, love watching baseball. So I'm a huge New York Mets fan. So I I spend the money to have the MLB package on my TV so my son and I can watch every Mets game. Uh, But I love going to baseball games. I love going to my son's baseball games. I love watching baseball movies. Uh, I know a lot of people, I'm also a football and a basketball fan, but a lot of people have kind of moved past baseball in our country. I am not one of those people. I love everything that baseball represents. (laughs) I love baseball. I love that. I love your um your unashamed love for baseball too, That's Brian. Right. That's really That's good. Right. Okay, before well, I'll, let me say my number two, and then yes. if we have honorable mentions, we can do it. Uh, my number two, I'm gonna. This is my version of baseball, Brian. Disney Plus. Yes. I love all the shows on Disney Plus. I'm very excited for the Hawkeye series that's about to start this week. Uh, of course, all of the MCU things that are on Disney Plus, some of the like the new Dookie Hauser is all entertainment all the time. It brings our family together. I love Disney Plus. OK, I didn't have many honorable mentions. I did think of one that I wrote late okay. in the game here. Uh, reruns of The Office. Oh, that's a great one. What a what a nice thing to be thankful for. I I, I just put hot chocolate. I felt like it was similar <laughs> nice. to my K-Cup theme, so it yep. couldn't be on the list. But I love hot chocolate. I love whipped cream and hot chocolate. I mean, if you combine hot chocolate with whipped cream with your graham cracker, how cake good? Up, it might, How it good? Might, well, it might be gross, but you've essentially created a liquid s'more. 
Yeah, no, it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to try that sometime tonight. I can't wait. Thank you for that. All right. Number one. The number one thing I'm thankful for. And Aubrey, uh, other than my family, you will understand this for me more than most people because we work together every day. Uh, The number one thing I'm thankful for today is a large unsweetened iced tea from Dunkin' Donuts. Yes, that is definitely you. I've always said I could be, well, I've always, for the past year, I've said if I wanted to be you for Halloween, I just need to put on a hoodie, maybe, uh-huh. a, Met, maybe a Mets hat and carry Dunkin' Donuts unsweetened iced yeah, tea. Yeah, I have a, for people to know, I generally speaking have a large unsweetened uh, Dunkin' Donuts iced tea every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I get one on my way to work. I get one on the way to the studio when we're going to do a show. I get one if I'm, you know, if I'm out picking the kids up. I am. That is my vice. I have some people drink coffee. Some people drink Diet Coke, other stuff. My vice is an unsweetened iced tea, and I am thankful for it. Well, I love that attitude you're showing us, Brian. You have so much to be thankful for. Okay. My number one, this will not surprise you because you know me by now either. Uh, will not surprise you either because you know me by now. Mine is Christmas decorations. <laughs> I love all things Christmas, especially the lights and the trees and the holly and the reeds. And it makes me very happy this season. Well, this was all very it, on character was, here for you and I. Yeah. Yeah. This is very us. I would say this is very us. We would love to know the top five little things that you're thankful for. If there's anything we missed or anything you want to add, let us know so we can all practice our thankfulness this year. Coming up next, we'll be back with a very special guest for another favorite thing we like to do, some Thanksgiving trivia. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're sending you home today, the day before Thanksgiving, with something that we love doing here, and that is a trivia show. And this time we have a very special one, Thanksgiving trivia. As we get ready for Thanksgiving, our hearts are filled with thanks and gratitude, and our plates are filled with delicious food. So let's celebrate with the Thanksgiving quiz. Here's your host, Aubrey Sampson. What you know by now, if you're a fan of The Common Good, is that because it's a trivia show, we have the most handsome, special <laughs> guest ever, Kevin Sampson. I'd like to welcome you to The Common Good today. Oh, thanks for having me, Aubrey. Cannot wait to gobble up Brian <laughs> today. <laughs> okay. Okay. First of all, let us also know that Aubrey and I did not have a discussion about your introduction. I don't know that I can sign on to the most handsome guest we've had. <laughs> Brian, Brian wrote it. Brian wrote that introduction. I'm just reading his words. Okay. We will, we will tell everyone that last time we did this, Kevin won. That was the Thank Veterans you. Day trivia show. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I believe Brian won. So we're going to assume we're tied and this is a big tie-breaking event okay all right here we go you guys remember how this works i'm going to read you a series of questions multiple choice answers i will ask you to answer them number one how long was the first thanksgiving celebration this should take you back to your elementary school days Mm. was it one day three days five days or seven days kevin what's your answer three days b Brian? Well, this is where I struggle because when you said it in my mind, I said it's going to be three days. But but just for the sake of the game, I'll guess something different. I will go five days. 
Kevin, you are correct. It is. Oh, yes. Should have done it. Yeah. Should have done, done it, it Brian. All okay, right. Brian, it's okay. It's okay. All right. Here we go. Number two. What meats were served at the first Thanksgiving celebration? Was it A, turkey, B, swan, C, duck, or D, goose? Brian? Mm. Man, when you read this, for some reason in my mind, I said duck, and then that was one of the choices. So I'm going C, duck. Okay, I'm glad you trusted your instinct. Kevin? Ooh, it's definitely not a swan, but <laughs> I'm going to go a goose. Okay, you are both correct. That was actually a trick question. Oh, swan, duck, and goose were all served at the first Thanksgiving. What? There was wow. no turkey. Brian Fromm, there was no turkey at the first that Thanksgiving. Is, I would like you to know that. And no ham. <laughs> swan. swan. That's turkey weird. Turkey and goose. Okay. We are now two to one. Number three. Who was the first president to pardon a turkey? Was it JFK? Eisenhower, Lyndon B. Johnson, or Richard Nixon? Kevin? Oh, just for kicks. Let's go Richard Nixon. Brian? Hmm. John F. Kennedy. Brian, you are correct. It is John yes! F. Kennedy, oh! the first president to pardon a turkey. Was, All right. I heard it. He was, Google, he was Googling that. Yes. <laughs> you heard his back. keyboard clicking. <laughs> All right. And a follow-up, number four. Which president made turkey pardoning an annual event? Was it Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, or George H.W. Bush? Kevin? Oh, uh, let's say Ronald Reagan. Okay, Brian? So I don't like to usually guess the same. I actually know the answer to that question, I think, and it is Ronald Reagan. You're both incorrect. It was George oh. H.W. Bush. <laughs> I thought was I had it. it. Yes, it was. Uh, okay. 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 All right. Number five. How <laughs> This one might make you feel really guilty or really excited. I'm not sure. Number five. How many calories on average are consumed per person at Thanksgiving dinner? Mm. Okay. Ready for this? Mm -hmm. Is it 1,500? 2,000? 3,000 or 4,500? Brian, what's your guess? Does this include dessert, do you think? Yeah, I, I'm going to assume it includes dessert. All right, then I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go C. C, 3,000. Okay, Kevin? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, 4,500. Okay, before I reveal the answer, here's what I'm going to say. The average person should eat around 1,500 to 2,500 calories a day, based on their <laughs> body type, et cetera. The answer for the Thanksgiving meal per person is 4,500 calories. Oh, <laughs> nice. Kevin, you are correct. And also, that's disgusting. Okay, <laughs> no judgment, but oh, wow. Okay, number six. How much did the world's most expensive Thanksgiving dinner on record cost? Was it A, $40,000, B, $50,000, C, $150,000, or D, $200,000? Kevin? Most expensive? I mean, I'm going to go $200,000. Okay. Brian, what's your guess? 
Yeah, I, I think I, I, as much as I want to go different, I would think the answer to this question is always the highest. I'm going to go D also. Okay, the answer is actually $150,000. It was at New York City's old homestead steakhouse. $150,000 for Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay, all right. You guys ready? I feel like we could break that record. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try to beat that. That's a good idea. All right, right, so right now the score is Kevin 3, Brian 2. Comeback time. Here we All go. Right. Here we go. Question number seven. I think I, I, I got this one just for you guys, for the sportsmen in my life. Mm. When was the first Thanksgiving football game? Was it 1876? Was it 1910? Was it 1920? Or was it 1946? Brian? 1910. Kevin? I, I forgot the numbers. C. <laughs> Uh, I will accept C, 1920. That was the first professional NFL football game on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's what. 1876 was actually the first Thanksgiving football game ever. Oh, I thought it was NFL. Okay. Well, well, you got it it right for NFL. Okay. Uh, We are now four to two. Brian, you really got to come back here. Whoa. Whoa. How did it become four to two? Whoa. How did it just become four to two? Yeah, because he got that right. So you got to come back. All right. I thought you said the answer was 1876. For the first Thanksgiving football game. But I said I would accept the first professional football game, which was 1920. And that was Kevin's guess. Yes. Yes. All right. Here we go. Number eight. (laughs) Brian is seething right now. That felt felt questionable right there. All right. This will be our final question. It was a good call. Which president, excuse me, men, please pay attention. Which president made Thanksgiving a permanent national holiday? Was it George Washington? Was it Abe Lincoln? Was it John Adams or was it Thomas Jefferson? Brian, what is your guess? Oh, that's a total John Adams type of thing to do. I'm going John Adams. (laughs) Okay, Kevin. This is like everyone knows it's it was President Lincoln. It was President Lincoln! <laughs> Kevin is the yes. winner. Well, I didn't know everyone knew that. I like I'm, that. You just I'm went so with everybody know. knows this one. Come on. <laughs> uh, that was a blowout. Uh, that was a blowout. Well, that was definitely a blowout. Yeah, you got to come back a little bit stronger next time. Well, yeah, everybody, yeah. we hope on that note that you have a absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving. Be sure to join us tomorrow and Friday. We'll be back with best of shows for Brian Fromm and for our handsome guest, Kevin Sampson. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.